right, all right. Good morning, Mosaic family. How are we doing this morning? Good morning. Today we're going to do things a little bit differently than we normally do. We're actually going to be uh, reciting this unique psalm together. We're going to be in Psalm 136. I know uh, Brother Aaron just told you to sit down, but I'm actually going to have you guys stand back up so we can read this psalm together. Hey, if I'm not sitting, you guys can't be sitting, right? So why don't you go ahead and stand back up. Um, Your part of the psalm, though, is easy. I'm going to lead. You guys are going to do the refrain. Okay, so Psalm 136, the refrain is very simple. It's in every verse, and it's simply this, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the refrain. Let's practice that together. For his steadfast love endures forever. One more time. For his steadfast love endures forever. That's perfect. You'll get a lot of practice doing that with this psalm this morning, which is good because if there's anything we need to hear more, it's that his love does endure forever. So I'm going to go ahead and start. When I go like this, you'll do your part, okay? So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, For his steadfast love endures forever. For he 
who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please sit down. Thank you. You guys did a great job. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the uh, pastoral residents here at Mosaic Church. I'm very excited to go through this psalm with you this morning. But to be honest, I'm just as excited because we have some folks in the room who aren't normally in the room for the worship and the preaching. Can I hear from all the under seven and under kids that are in here this morning? Wow, they are super quiet. They must all be home or something. I don't know. Yeah, just wait. Just wait. About halfway through the sermon, it's going to get loud. Well, kids, I'm super excited for you to be here. And actually, I have a question for the kids in the room. Anybody know what holiday did we just celebrate this past Thursday? Mia. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Very good. Any kids know what the story of Thanksgiving was about? Raise your hand if you know. Shane. Yeah, they had a bunch of food and worshipped. Anybody know who the people were that did that? Doesn't have to be a kid. The, the Indians, okay. Well, they did it with some people called what? The Pilgrims, very good, the Pilgrims. So I'm not going to belabor... The, the history lesson on that, but um, the pilgrims were Protestant believers like we are, and they were dealing with religious persecution in England, and they bounced between England and Holland and back to England, and finally came to what they deemed the New World, and they were hoping to get to Virginia, which I understand because I also immigrated to Virginia. Uh, but a storm blew them off course. They were 66 days at sea. They lost two people on the ride over. Uh, I didn't lose anybody on my ride to Thanksgiving. Uh, but they lost two people in the ships on the way. And they ended up being blown off course hundreds of miles. And they ended up in New England. I'm sorry, that's not a fair trade. I moved from New England to get to Virginia. These people landed in the wrong spot. Okay, I'm just going to say it. But our friends, the pilgrims, unfortunately were not prepared for a New England winter, which is actually worse than the winters that they get up there now. And you may know from your history lesson that they lost about half of their original settlers. Think about that for a second. Half. Every family of the pilgrims that came here originally was touched by suffering and death that first winter. Now, by God's grace, it was Squanto. There was the neighboring tribe they made an alliance with. You know the story. The next year, they did much better. They had a harvest. They invited that friendly tribe to a three-day Thanksgiving feast where they worshiped and thanked God for the bounty that he gave. And so out of suffering came Thanksgiving. Out of suffering came Thanksgiving. And we're going to see as we look at God's Word this morning that Christians are called to give thanks to the God who has proven His steadfast love for them. Christians are called to give thanks to the God who has proven His steadfast love to them. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our psalm. Father, God, You are worthy 
of our praise and honor and thanksgiving. And though we feasted this week and enjoyed time with family or friends, Lord, you're the center of it all, and you're the reason why we can give thanks. But we need to hear from you this morning, Lord, because many of us are in trials or dealing with darkness and suffering, ongoing foes, and all sorts of other things are troubling us. But Lord, we need to look up and see you this morning. We need to be reminded of your goodness and your steadfast love. So I ask that you would be with us and attend us, that you would speak through this word this morning to us as your people, that we might be comforted and be brought to new thanksgiving for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in order to understand Psalm 136 correctly, we actually need to take a little bit of a closer look at this word or phrase, steadfast love, which you guys did such a wonderful job repeating. You actually said it 26 times, which I don't think you ever imagined you would do that in your life, but here you are. Now, this phrase, steadfast love, is not a phrase in the Old Testament Hebrew. It's actually a single word, hesed. The word hesed is kind of difficult to translate correctly into English. Uh, The ESV, as we read, says steadfast love. Other English translations will often translate this word as loving kindness or mercy, faithful love, and even loyal love. And you can do a survey to get some other ways that this word is rendered. But it's suffice to say that it doesn't just mean emotional love or sentimental love or romantic love but rather it is an abiding, everlasting or long-lasting covenantal love. It's a love with promise. It's a love with steel and with backbone to it. It's not the soft stuff that gets peddled on pop songs here today, but it's the steel of a promise made, an ancient promise that's been made long ago that keeps going, that keeps lasting generation after generation. And that's the the thread that weaves through the psalm today is that his steadfast love endures forever. So we're going to dive in to the specific verses, and just for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat for his steadfast love endures forever again and again. You just need to know it's there in every single verse of this psalm. It's the heartbeat of this psalm, and it's what we need this morning. It's what we need this morning. So our first point comes from verses 1 through 3. Take a look at it with me. Our first point is that we give thanks because God is good and God is God. We give thanks because God is good and God is God. Now, these first three verses, when we strip out the refrain, we hear that we give thanks to the Lord, which is God's covenant name in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh, for He is good. And we're told to give thanks to the God of gods and give thanks to the Lord of lords. That's a triple call to give thanks. So we know that that's the whole point of the psalm. The whole movement of the psalm is to get us to remember to give thanks to God. And interestingly enough, this This text, this repetition of names for God, we see Lord and then God of gods and Lord of lords, actually comes from a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So if you didn't know this, oftentimes later writers in the scriptures will quote 
earlier writers of the scriptures. So if you have a Bible and it has cross-references, sometimes take a look at those and you'll find that that will help explain the meaning of the text to you. So we're going to do that right now. In Deuteronomy 10, I'm going to read this section here for you, and this will help shed some light on these first three verses to us. It says, Behold, to the Lord your God, that's Yahweh your God, belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Now, again, the psalmist is from his psalm here using this text as his launching pad. So when we understand the first verse, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good, the text in Deuteronomy doesn't use the word good, but if you notice, it did describe the word good good, didn't it? Consider these words that said, he is not partial. He doesn't take bribes. You can't bribe God, right? He executes or he gives justice for the fatherless and widows, and he loves the sojourner or the foreigner by providing them food and clothing. Would you agree that that's good? I think we can agree that that describes good. And again, it's not some loosey-goosey goodness right? It's a, a goodness with steel and with backbone, right? This text is showing us God, Yahweh, with His covenant name is good. That's one of His essential aspects of being that we want to praise and thank Him for, that He is good, and that goodness means something to us as His lowly people, His humble people. He cares for those who cannot care for themselves, he cares for the lowly, for those who don't have what they need and what they take, and he provides. And we know that God hasn't changed. Sometimes people will say, well, the Old Testament God is just mean and angry, and we want New Testament hippie happy Jesus. You've heard these sentiments before, but that's not true. When we look at the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God's goodness is all through that. And when we show up to the New Testament, what does Jesus start teaching his disciples with? The Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then later on, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God hasn't changed. He's good from the text of Genesis to Revelation. But we're not stopping there because there's two other titles for God. It says, give thanks to the God of gods. That's the Elohim of Elohims. That's the generic word for God that we would say it means God. But it means strong one or mighty one, which in Deuteronomy we saw was emphasized that he is great and he's awesome and he's strong. And it's a way of saying God is the strongest of the ones who claim they're strong. He's the biggest and the baddest, so to speak, of them all. There's no one like him. Same thing when we move to this Lord of Lords. That's the Adonai of Adonais. Okay? It's not just saying he's strong, but it's saying he actually rules. We could say God is large and in charge. 
and to use a theology word, he's sovereign, he's ruling, he's active, he's reigning over everything. And so from these first three verses, we're told we need to give thanks to God because he's good. He's all good, but he's also all-powerful. He's reigning, he's ruling. And that's enough, right, to help us give thanks to him, to see him as he is in his glory is enough to be worthy of giving thanks. So our application for this point is that to cultivate thanksgiving, we need to remember who God is. To cultivate thanksgiving, we need to remember who God is. Now, our second point this morning comes from verses 4 through verse 22. It covers the bulk of the psalm, and our point is this, that God proves his love to us through his wonders, right? That comes from verse 4. It says, to him alone who does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. The first wonder that the text mentions from 5 to 9 is that he is the creator. God made it all. It says, to him who by understanding he made the heavens, he spread out the earth above the waters, he made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. So the psalmist, when he's trying to show us examples that prove who God is and that he's good and that he's full of steadfast love, starts with the basics. Basics are good. He starts with saying, look around you. Look around you. I love living here in the Shenandoah Valley because I get mountain views everywhere. Now, they're not the biggest mountains, let's be honest, but they are beautiful. I have a view just up the road from my house of Great North Mountain, which is not very tall, but it is long. It's like 45 or 50 miles long, but it's a panoramic. It's a really beautiful view, and it doesn't get old for me. Jamie, you live in Front Royal. When you roll south here on 522 as you're headed to Front Royal, how would you describe that view? It's gorgeous, and it is gorgeous. If you haven't taken that ride in a while, I suggest you take it. Now, here's the thing. Every time we look on the grandeur of the natural world around us in the earth, if we listen closely, it's telling us something. It's saying his steadfast love endures forever. When we look up on a clear night and you see a billion stars twinkling, if the sun's not, you know, or the, the moon's not shining too bright, every one of those stars is whispering to you, his steadfast love endures forever. Every one of them. The sun, those gorgeous sunrises, well, let's be honest, most of us probably aren't paying a whole lot of attention to the sunrise, but maybe we're a night crowd and those sunsets, especially when there's some sand in the air, you know what I'm talking about? And you just, it just lights up the western sky in the summer nights. It's saying to you over and over, his steadfast love endures forever. So that's the first evidence that the psalmist provides to us, that his steadfast love endures forever. But he doesn't end there. Next he moves to God's wonders in history, the wonder of redemption. Take a look at these verses here in verse 10 through 16. It says, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm, he divided the Red Sea in two. He made Israel pass in the midst of it, but he drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, and he led his people through the wilderness. 
Now, this is God's historic works. The psalmist is reflecting back on this history when God brought them out of slavery. Even though this isn't his recent history, the psalm is likely written hundreds and hundreds of years later. But he's looking back in history and saying, God accomplished a great wonder of redemption for us because I should be speaking Egyptian, and I'm not. I'm speaking Hebrew. That's what he's saying. He's looking back on God's mighty works of redemption. Now, for us, this is our history because you and I have been grafted in to God's people. God only has one people, and we've been grafted in to that one people. So this is our history too, but our history as a New Testament people is even better than this because God has accomplished an even greater redemption than what he accomplished with the Israelites being led out from the Red Sea and, uh, and uh, slavery in Egypt. No, it starts off by recalling that God struck down the firstborn of Egypt, and that brings us to the Passover. Now, you know the Jews celebrate, and we were commanded to celebrate the Passover over and over and over again as a reminder year by year of God's redemption. And what happened in the Passover feast was that they actually had to slaughter a lamb, and then they had to take the blood of the lamb, and they had to paint it across the doorposts of their house because God was sending a death angel into the midst of Egypt. And any house that that angel came across where there was no blood on the doorpost, the angel was going to struck down or strike down the firstborn in that house. And that wasn't just for the Egyptians. That was anybody. If an Israelite did not have the blood over the doorpost, they would also fall under this firstborn plague, this judgment against Egypt. And so for us, as we look at this, the New Testament tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb, that he has been sacrificed for us. And that imagery is important because in the New Testament, again and again and again, we are told about the value of the forgiveness that is only made available to us through the blood of Jesus. When Christ was crucified, it was messy. His blood was shed. His body was broken for us, for you, for your sin. And Christ has taken our, uh, the wrath of God, the judgment we deserved, and He hides us from that judgment. Did you ever think about that? When you believe and have faith in Christ, you're not, you don't physically have a paintbrush with lamb's blood and you're not thro- trying to throw it up on your door. No, but by faith in Jesus You are now covered in the blood of the Lamb, and your sins are hidden. And one day, God is going to judge this world. We know that. That's important. There is a judgment coming, and yet those of us who are hidden in Christ are hidden from that coming wrath of God on the world in which we live. And then Christ, it actually says in the New Testament, it was Christ who led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he brought them through the waters of the Red Sea. The waters of the Red Sea symbolize baptism, and baptism points us to the fact that we are born again of the Spirit of God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we've been made new. We've been washed clean. That's essential 
Friends, if you haven't experienced this today, whether you're young or old, this is, today's the day to know this salvation. Today's the day to know this grace of God, to know the forgiveness that's only made available in the blood of Christ. Do you know it? Has the blood gone over your, the doorposts of your life? Are you hidden from the wrath of God that will one day come against all who are not covered by the blood of the Lamb? And then lastly, it says that God led the people through 40 years of the wilderness wandering and He cared for their every need. He was with them every step of the way. And by the way, they were foolish and unbelieving, which is why they had to wander, but God didn't leave them, even though they were, that generation was foolish. He didn't abandon them. He waited till the next generation rose up in the wilderness to bring them into the land. Now, the last wonder here is the wonder of victory, and this is in verses 17 through 22. We see as the people of Israel came up and got ready to come into the promised land, they were led around a number of nations on the east side of the Jordan River. But there were two nations in particular that fought against Israel that God gave them the thumbs up to, to take their land. They said God hardened their hearts. They fought against the Israelites, and God empowered His people with Moses to defeat them in battle. Unlike what he did with Egypt, where it was God who did all the fighting and the people just needed to sit down, shut up, and let God save them. In this case, God was getting them ready for battle. And in the same way that these two kings, Sihon and Og, were overthrown by the Israelite army that was empowered by God to do so, God has won powerful victories in Christian history. When you look at the period after Christ's ascension, especially in the book of Acts, what do you see? That these men turned the world upside down. The apostles and the disciples did miracles. They preached the gospel wherever they went. And wherever the gospel went in, there was warfare, but there was victory. Some of the guys uh, and me meet for a discipleship group, and we just went through 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, they were there for Paul and his ministry team were there for like four weeks before they got kicked out of the city. And the church, the new church, dealt with intense persecution. But you know what? There was still a church there. There was still a victory there. The gospel was still winning in that community. And just as it does, by the way, throughout Christian history, it's not just what did God do in 50 AD or 75 AD, but what has he done in 200 and 300 and 500 and 1500 A.D. with names like Ignatius and Justin Martyr and Athanasius, Luther, Calvin, and Edwards. You see, the whole point is this, with these three wonders that we're talking about, that we, in order to cultivate thanksgiving in our hearts, we need to remember what God has done through the gospel in history. We need to remember what He's done long ago and in the past, because it's our, it's our history. God did that. He really did. Those are historical events that changed the world that we live in for the better, okay? Verses, uh, we're going to move to verses 23 to 25, where we get our third point this morning. Our third point is this, that God proves His love to us by remembering our suffering and needs. 
God proves his love to us by remembering our suffering and needs. In verse 23, you can, you can sense a little bit of a shift in how the psalmist is speaking. He goes from the history that's long ago and general, accepted facts, and he says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. We're moving to this, likely the psalmist's history. Not just the long ago family history, but this is recent vintage history for the psalmist. He's probably talking about the events in his own generation. He says, God, you remembered us and you rescued us from our foes. You rescued us from our foes. So consider this morning your foes. You might not use that term, but you have foes. Some of those foes might be your, the sins of your past. Maybe it's sins that you're wrestling with today in the present. Maybe it's struggles with wayward children. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's the cultural situation. Maybe you're in a job or some other situation where you're being pressed against by the foes of our culture, which is not a fan of the gospel and Christianity, if you didn't notice. Okay? There are foes in every generation, but each of you and I have foes that we are dealing with, that we are wrestling with, temptations, financial foes. These are all realities that we wrestle against. My question is, you're not, you haven't been overcome. You haven't lost, even though you're facing these things. Why is that? You might say, well, I, I, I feel maybe like I'm being overcome. Okay, but you're still here, right? You're still standing, right? Think about the foe that you faced two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. How'd you overcome that? It's because God remembered you and he rescued you. God remembered you and he rescued you. And then look at this. The psalmist in verse 25, he remembers that God is still presently providing for all creation, including the psalmist himself. The psalmist is included in that he who gives food to all flesh. That's good news because, I don't know about you, but it's not just financial provision, but it's, it's that provision of love that I need every day from God. And he's still presently providing that every day for those who believe in him and trust in him and take hold of those promises. God is feeding us by his grace and his mercy. So let's wrap up. In verse 26 comes our concluding point. We give thanks because God loves us. We give thanks because God loves us. It says, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist reminds us that the thread weaven between God's character, God's power, the big story of the whole Bible, and all of history, and our little histories, our little stories, it's God's love is weaving in all of those things. Like the pilgrims, when we started out today, we were talking about the pilgrims who faced intense suffering, and yet out of their suffering came thanksgiving. And that's only possible, it was only possible for them because of God's love proven to them in their time. And this morning, 
you have the evidence from this psalm that God's hesed, God's steadfast love towards you is sufficient. God's love beckons us again and again to come to the table of thanksgiving, to unload our burdens of worry, anxiety, fear, depression, weakness, failure, and instead to eat our fill of Christ's love for us. Have you done that? Have you ate your fill of the love of Christ? Have you known the feast of his grace and his steadfast love that never ends? Consider, as we wrap up this morning, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's for us this morning. So let's take a moment. We're actually going to respond by using the psalm as our framework to give thanks to God this morning. You guys know the refrain, right? For his steadfast love endures forever. But what we want to do is to take a moment and individually say thank you to God for something. So I want you to do is just fill in the blank. God, I thank you because... And then when that person is done, we are all going to say together, for his steadfast love endures forever. We need this reminder. So we're going to have somebody kick us off. Lord, I thank you because you've saved me. me. For his steadfast love endures forever. Next. Yes, thank you for Jesus. For his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, amen. For never leaving me even at my lowest points. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his wisdom. For his steadfast love endures forever. For giving me 16 years of marriage. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. I didn't hear him. For his patience, amen. For his steadfast love endures forever. His joy and his peace, steadfast love endures forever. Anyone else? You've gone twice. I love it though. Anybody else? Mia? Yeah, she went twice. Okay, go ahead. One last... Take us home, Mia. His love, yes. Thank you for your love because his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray.